Alright, hello everyone, welcome to the Elixir Luminescence podcast. This is the 10th episode, and today we're just going to be doing a dissection of um, Ru- of the events in Russia and Ukraine, and what that means for the, for the future, including, you know, perspectives on um, tech and international relations. So, yep. to begin with, we're just going to provide a very quick rundown of the history of Ukraine, um, and some of the more uh, long-term intermediate intermediate causes, which is you know almost almost that was an almost direct quote from uh, Mr. McCall's uh, larger presentation to uh, the other day. So um, you know the main political entity that unifies the Belarus, Russia, and the Ukraine is um, called the Kievan Rus. It was essentially the origin of Slavic language and culture. And is the main, you know, cultural means by which Russians claim the um, that the Ukraine is uh, is truly <coughs> Russian, because you know later the the other acquisitions of Russia that are further east were you know done over time as Russia became a larger empire and Ukraine and Belarus split from each other. So, you know, more recently. There's just been after you know decommunization and all of that. Sorry, during decommunization, um, and uh, sorry, prior to decommunization, there's a lot of um cultural interchange between Ukraine and Russia. Um, what happened was a lot of people would move to uh, Ukraine and vice versa for employment opportunities and other things, and that created a um a kind of complex situation for people who are you know, people who are both Russian and Ukrainian, because, you know, either moved from one or moved to the other. And I'm speaking of, you know, being both Russian and Ukrainian, there has historically been separatist movements within Ukraine, which include, um, which include some of the regional, like, the regional governments right now in Luhansk and Donetsk, as well as um, Crimea. Uh, and that's just, and that was also evident in how these regions voted after, during the decommunization process, like what nation they were to belong to, and um, all that uh, jazz. So we have that. Um, prior, again, also prior to like this, this uh, intermingling for economic reasons during like the liberalization period of the Soviet Republic, there was a lot of subjugation in Ukraine committed by Russians, which include Holodomor and other and other um, you know, serious events, as well as during the Nazi occupation, the Babi Yar massacre. And um, it's also another thing that during the time of this of the USSR, Ukrainian nationalism was something that was really far that had to be necessarily really far right and just mainly opposing the um the presence of socialism in the Ukraine. And that would obviously take turn, that would, you know, as political ideology turns more and more extreme, it was much less about who you wanted wanted to align with and much more about what you wanted the Ukrainian state to constitute and what you wanted it to represent. And, you know, it wasn't really about economic opportunity as much uh, and, you know, one and a longing for democracy but it was rather about okay the socialists are in power how do they get in power and who, who are you going to kick out to get back into power 
and how how are we going to be a stronger Ukrainian nation that is free of all this? So obviously that 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 kind of idea of Ukrainian nationalism is going to trigger a lot of alarm bells for people who lived throughout the um, period of the socialist republic. So you know actors like Putin and his diplomats, when you know Ukrainian nationalism was rallying, um, you know after Crimea and after all that, it kind of served as a warning sign to them that okay we this is you know even though even though it may not have been threatening which is the reality of it in their you know political messaging they, they could realistically have passed it off as threatening and especially when you have a power like that that wants to join nato um and that's had previous political instability that's you know completely off the basis of that uh so for example in the other countries around russia there's a phenomenon known as color revolutions where, you know, contested elections are, you know, used to, the, that were never actually contested that undermined the power of an illiberal democracy and undermined the power of uh, people with, with um, presence in, with, with like unchallenged presence in government. So when these color revolutions happen, it's a really bad signal for leadership in Russia, right? And even though that might not be, a, from our point of view, it's definitely not, it's a definitely a good thing that there's color revolution, but from a Russian point of view, um, as as you know the, as someone who's trying to establish a head a hegemon, and someone who's trying to maintain a liberal democracy, and maintain political allies, since the West isn't going to provide you with political allyship, they're going to provide you with political antagonism. They have to um. They have to respond really aggressively to this but um you know with the election of election of Zelensky and the response of NATO after the Crimea crisis they had already had this thing kind of planned out and it was definitely it was always on the table um and you know do you think so do you sorry I didn't interrupt but do you think like that they had planned the interruption not the interruption. Do you think they had planned the invasion after Zelensky's election, or do you? Because th- to me, it sort of seems like it was sort of a thing after Biden became president, or after Biden, like you know, withdrew troops from Afghanistan. Because it doesn't seem very planned out at all. Like these troop movements and these like forty mile convoys that they have. Oh, but yeah. the thing is, we already know like how Trump and Putin had a good relationship. So then, my question would be, why didn't Putin then invade earlier if he already had this planned or is it to show that Biden is weak and that he's doing this as like to help Russia as well as to sort of like put Trump on like a pedestal that yeah Trump has more power than Biden this is no I don't think it's any of that this is really like like in terms if we're gonna look at it from like a real politic point of view right this, mm-hmm. There is no promotion of self-interest whatsoever when doing this, and they knew fully that they would get the brunt of the sanctions and all of that. Yeah. Well, well, I thought I, my my interpretation of this is Russia went into this thinking they would quickly control and stage a coup in Ukraine and take out Zelensky and then sort of, but that's the sort thing. They of like display their power and well, well, my. Right now they're going to keep right again from a self like from a self uh interest point of view this is like really absurd because like 
like he has, he fully has the power to do to do that and and incite a color like an opposite way color revolution in in Ukraine and another and he could have just you know used political maneuvers to take Luhansk and Donetsk. There was it was really just a super irrational attack that comes off the fact that um he's not perf- like Putin is not really performing as a premier or a president. Right, which is why a lot of people are so incredibly, including me, like I was extremely surprised that Russia would invade Ukraine because just from all angles, it does not make sense. Like these international sanctions. They had that so are being, many better things to do. Yeah. Yeah. These like yeah, international they sanctions. So many better things to do. They knew exactly what was going to happen as well. Like this, the president was very much clear. After yeah. The yeah. No, but I, I, what I don't get is Premier. why would you go in attacking and invading Ukraine? When if you're claiming that Putin already knew that Russia was going to be sanctioned off by the rest of the world, there are so many smarter ways to go about this invasion of Ukraine than to do what he's done. Yeah. Well, no, like any invasion of Ukraine. He continuously like built up troops and he continually like like expressed his intentions. Um, And like if you compare that to like other countries around the world, like again... It was super irrational and just like just off the it was really just off the whim of Putin and what he decided he wanted to do. Yeah, it's very clear that it's just Putin. Maybe not just Putin, but Putin's a one of the sole driving factors in this invasion. Like it's pretty much like just his choice. And I, I'm still very puzzled as to why they would do it, because yeah, you can say like natural resources, but they, they have, have plenty. That's the thing though, like in terms of natural resources, like when when the USSR was still a thing, they would get mainly what it would just literally just be, um, oh, what's it called? Grain. I think they would get like yeah. wheat and corn from Ukraine. I think that's yeah, their main have, source of exports. China is a strategic partner where they get a ton of wheat every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but need, and they have international mm-hmm. trade as well because the cargo. Uh, yeah, so I I don't know There's what the point really of this no is. Yeah. Maybe it could be tying back to the whole Russian, the Slavic roots with the Ukraine and Belarus. That's just, like no, that's just a way I, I'm saying. I'm, that could I, really I mean no, that could be like an interpretation that that one could make when yeah, when looking but, at um, this invasion. The only use for the only use for like the Kiev and Rus is in political messaging, and he had, mm-hmm. he like he you know you can't get a clear sense of what the what the Russian electorate is feeling, even you know so you can just tell that he makes like. Like the only way you can kind of say that it's a reference to the Kievan Rus is his speeches and stuff, and he claims like Russia, uh, Ukraine is like a is like a cultural ancestor of Russia. Yeah, so like really a, that's it. Yeah, well, I mean, you, I mean, Putin, Putin has always kind of wanted to reunite Russia and Ukraine, right? And the Ukraine, like ever since, I don't know, like Putin was there to watch the breaking up of the Soviet Union, and he's previously said in the past that like. Russia and Ukraine are like are both like sisters of each other and they they both have like the same ethnic background and um I forget you guys can tell me what was like the original justification for him going into those two like uh those two separate He claimed that they were parts? independent he claimed that they were independent like nations or something like that and that they had um that they were, I guess, sort of against Russia or something like that, and that they were doing some sort of secret operation in there. No, no, Luhansk and Donetsk were, were pro-Russian. 
And there were Russian separatists in there. It was like largely control, almost not controlled, but like oh, oh yeah, he, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad, my bad. He he pretty much just claimed them as independent of Ukraine, and since they are, I guess they had Russian Russian links and Russian ties. He was like, okay, I can go in no, and they, claim they this like as part of Russia. Totally controlled by Russian separatists. And then he just claimed, and then he just recognized those Russian separatists as like governments of an independent nation, whether or not those separatists had claimed that. And then, so that was like the justification for moving to those two territories. And then to expand from there, it was denazification, was it? Well, no, denazification is just, and it's another, it's again, one, one, some more political messaging to get people behind him. Um, mm, that, that comes, so. that, that, that's the Ukrainian nationalism bit I was talking about in the beginning. It's yeah. very, very much rooted in anti-Semitism and very, very much rooted in, um, you know, ethnic purity and all that stuff. Because it's that's just a, that's just, if you were political op- if you were political opposite of this of the Soviets, that's mainly what you would you would claim as right. you know, the further right you went. Like there wasn't really it wasn't really much mm-hmm. about liberalism and all and all of that stuff. Even though they were also political opposition, like it wasn't. It wasn't about self-determination. It was about, like, what is the Ukrainian state and why is it led by socialists? Mm. So, I mean, we talked a little bit about how Putin's getting his message out um, to, I guess, the Russian, his Russian allies trying to keep Russia together. Um, what do you think about sort of how technology has played a role in this, in this war? Like, Ukraine is really using technological advancements, really, like, using communication and and social media to try to get their message out there while russia is really just trying to suppress um like the social media usage as now instagram's being blocked and they're they're pretty much just spewing russian propaganda all over their news um i mean what do you you think about all of that well, Ukraine obviously has a function for for like has a function for communication, but if anything, communication with the rest of the world is kind of antithetical to what you need to do to invade invade Ukraine. And like, if you want, like, if you're gonna get sanctioned by the rest of the world, you might as well like not not let not have any communication. Yeah, not let not let the people tell you that tell like like. Like it looks bad if people go on social media and say we don't want this war. It looks bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't. It's like undermines what you're trying to do. But then, what happens to all those Russian um, citizens that use social media to communicate with one another? Uh, even if it's not like, like if it's not outside of Russia, what if it's within Russia from one part to another, and they depend on cares, these. Though. Like, I don't think he... Yeah, I mean, of course he doesn't care. That, that's kind of like... Yeah, those people are just kind of... Um, those people are just kind of stuck, you know. It just feels... It's just bad for them. Like, oh, well. There's mm-hmm. not much they can do, and Putin definitely does not care about that. Exactly. Because, like, we know Ukraine's constantly talking to European leaders. Uh, they've talked to Elon Musk to try to get some of their Starlink to to allow for ukrainian people to communicate and get I mean, access to internet that starlink oh, stuff yeah, like publicity son. yeah i was gonna say that as well like it feels like it's not very um substantive because um oh no like, it definitely isn't 
those big like starlink discs like satellite stuff that they that you have to put out on like a high area to get signal it's, it's very easily spotted by the by russians and yeah um, you can easily get your location compromised whenever you're using them i think that's one of the things elon musk had said when 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 he gave some of the, his starlink technology to um ukraine to use yeah. um and he said that you got to be careful where you use it Yep. Yeah, and your your location can be triangulated with that as well, and that can be used for further like air raids and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, like technology has played a major role for Ukraine. Russia, I wouldn't say so much, but. But what do you think um, the future of technology pretty much holds with with this uh, after this war or while this war is still going on? Don't know when it ends. Um, it's kind of hard to speculate on the future because you don't really know what's going to happen, how long this war is going to last, what's going to be the reaction if Russia is going to like agree to a ceasefire or like maybe I think we're it's a little too late. We're at the point where it's a little bit too late for a withdrawal. I don't think that they're going to withdraw troops. They might just, but it is possible for them to stop, you know, mm-hmm. Russia too. So Ethan, one might say there isn't a long run aggregate supply just yet. The LRAS is, is shifting to the left. The LRAS. Yeah, they're definitely not going to perform. Shifting. They're not going to be able to restore it for multiple years because this is taking it. This is basically uh, just like a money sink for both countries. Yeah, and your eight, your aggregate demand is shifting towards the left, which also leads to a decrease in uh, equilibrium quantity. Oh, you guys yeah, yeah, stop definitely, there. definitely got to cause some recessions and in inflation. They're well, gonna have to uh, have some expansionary policy. And if we're gonna say, no, no, if we're gonna speak about, if we're actually good thing that you brought up inflation, because Russia is gonna Russia cutting off natural gas is 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 help is one of the driving factors of inflation in the eurozone, and when that mm-hmm. when we don't have a essentially when we don't have a production of like uh, actual material basis where all this like you know pre- all all these price hikes are going. And we see a GDP contraction, which is going to happen. We will see a GDP contraction because you can't produce anywhere near or consume anywhere. We're near already near beginning to it. see the starting effects of that, right? Like Europe and Asia being cut off of Russia's gas. Although no, America like of Russia's takes... economy, GDP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but, economy, but no, I'm... Russia's, I'm, I'm just talking about European, like EU. Oh, 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 oh. And, that's yeah. gonna, and that has effects, and that, that has a huge effects in the United States. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because Russian oil is not being sent to European Union countries or like just countries in Europe natural in general. Gas, natural, gas. natural gas, yep. Because for, of that, China, a lot like, of the products that they create. China as well. China's mm-hmm. going to be affected by this heavily. Even with their, even with all their like ties to Russia, saying that yeah, they're that's, allies that's, with Russia. That's, that's another. That's like one thing. Like China, China was. China also is kind of lucky to have, which is which is the, which is a larger concentration of LNG like tankers as well as just like like that's just one example of, of a lot of things that they have that they get as benefits from every country outsourcing and abusing their labor labor force, mm-hmm. and like that's what they get also for having the problem is they have a 
ton of foreign investment going both ways. So that foreign investment piece is gonna actually it could actually like tank because and it you know once there's a huge once there's a huge downturn that's coming up, you're gonna see like foreign investment is gonna kill them. And it's not like it's it's it, it. I feel like they're they're gonna be a bit more robust because they actually have like poverty prevention, like you know. Uh, resources like and like for example if a lot of people went homeless during this thing they they literally have like huge abandoned cities full of like things that they don't need and their infrastructure is all up to date and stuff and they're gonna have a speedier recovery so, yeah china is really on track there i think their infrastructure I, i'm not gonna go and say it's, it was intentional but this is mm-hmm. like they're very lucky to have those things and mm-hmm. although they're still gonna like be hurt heavily by this war as well, they'll obviously be hurt. But I think they'll be the least hurt out of anybody, and they they stand to gain the most out of the situation. Mm-hmm. Not yeah, gain the most, uh, but to to lose the least. To lose yes, the least. Yeah, yeah, to lose, yeah. They would. I guess they they could like lose, and they're working. They're being like. I'm very happy that they haven't said anything that's like gonna start Crazy. a fire essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're very calculated in their comments because they're not going to lose commerce from Russia, but they're also like they're also kind of siding with the West and saying, "Yeah, I condemn this invasion." India as well is also playing this a little strategically, where um they have not come out and said anything against either side. I mean, they've just like remained neutral, which is in large part because of their positioning. Like Russia has been able to supply them with weapons like uh, MiG fighters and guns and stuff. And uh, Russia also provides them protection against, you know, like China and Pakistan. Yeah. Isn't there, isn't there like a pact between Russia, China, India, and I think Brazil. Um, I think they have some sort of like alliance going on. Um, They're they're some of the most rapidly developing huge economies it's happening to. Is mm-hmm. is Brazil uh is Brazil one of them? Yeah, popping off? I think so. Yeah. Interesting. I think it's called like the BRIC alliance or something. Um. But yeah, you're right. You're right. BRC. But I, I don't know. Like, it's got it's got a, a lot of implications on the world economy. Um. Even though I made like a little economics joke. Um. If you do dive into the actual specificities of it, it it, it does have a major major role. Uh, any war in general. Mm-hmm. Um, All right, guys. Um, we are recording yeah. this on Zoom, and Zoom is telling us that we have one more minute left for recording, so we're going Talk to go soon. ahead and end the podcast here. But um, we are looking forward to uploading more episodes with uh we're looking forward to uploading more episodes more and more frequently in the coming weeks so i uh, think yeah you i think we're definitely gonna have to talk about james webb not gonna lie oh the telescope, yeah, yeah, telescope. Yeah. yeah that sounds pretty cool but right. well uh now we'll learn the more next about episode. our best yeah all right catch us in the next episode yes. we'll see you thank you